Welcome to the Breakfast Leadership Show, where we interview global thought leaders on business, leadership, and life. Here's your host, keynote speaker, best-selling author, and chief burnout officer of the Breakfast Leadership Network, Michael Levitt. Welcome back. I've got Rod Reason on the line. Rod, how are you? I'm doing fantastic. How are you today? I am awesome. Really looking forward to this conversation because you've done some amazing work in the entrepreneur space. Excuse me. So uh, why don't you share a little bit about you and the awesome work you do? Well, I'll, uh, I'll, I always start out with family. Um, I have four amazing children uh, from college age all the way down to 12, uh, two girls, two boys, an amazing wife, 23 years we just celebrated, um, and uh, live up in the country, up in northern Indianapolis, Westfield area. Um, I've uh, I've been a serial entrepreneur all my life. I've uh, started my first uh, uh, job, I suppose, when I was 13 years old, detasseling corn, um, where you really learn how to work <laughs> out in the hot summers in Indiana, um, and uh then started uh, trading cars and doing other things, but uh, never had a W-2 from a company I didn't start. That's amazing. The fact that, uh, you know, you in the W-2 thing, I mean, that, that is amazing. A lot of people will be in the W-2 world for a long time. And then, you know, then they launch their own businesses much later. But the fact that uh, you started from, you know, the first roles. And yes, uh, I growing up in the Midwest myself, yeah, those summers are, are pretty warm. And for some reason, there isn't any central air out in the fields. So that sun beats on you. Uh, and, you know, it keeps you ni- nice and toasty. And of course, we, we forget that during the winter going, oh, it's so cold. But it's like if we could just bottle up that heat and, and use it for the rest of the year, it'd be great. So, so what do you think was the reason behind your entrepreneurial spirit especially at a young age? Um, you know, my mother was uh, in sales uh, most of her, her life. Uh, she was uh, uh, out actually a district sales rep for Avon. Um, so she would go door to door, literally um, during this era, door to door, asking if people wanted to either buy Avon products or become a, um, a representative to distribute Avon products. And my dad was a big car guy, so I've I've gravitated to the sales side of it with cars, um, you know, just through uh, uh, hobbies. And my dad would uh, worked in a factory all all his uh, professional career, and uh, would buy and sell cars. And I I remember him coming home with cars that ran that he literally paid guys fifty dollars for, and then he'd put for sale and sell them for a couple of thousand dollars. And that just intrigued me that. You could work smart and not just hard, but obviously working hard. Well, yeah, the door-to-door thing, you know, takes dedication and effort and the ability to understand, okay, there's, you know, some people won't be interested in that and not let that deter you. Because I think that's what scares a lot of people, and especially those that want to launch their own business. You know, they're afraid of... Uh, maybe not getting that first sale as easy as they thought, or if they get rejected, they may say, well, maybe this isn't a good idea, and they throw in the towel when, in fact, it may have just been you know the wrong 
customer that they approached and they may have a great product like in your you know in your situation you know, you've launched several organizations and, you know, and, and sold a bunch of them and uh, and you know that takes effort and a lot of planning it's not just okay we're gonna we're gonna do something and, and it takes five minutes okay now I've got a company you know there's a lot of time and effort and research and everything else into it so um, sure a little bit about those companies you know it's, it's you know how are they the same how are they different and you know obviously I'm guessing you probably learned some lessons every time you launched a new company. Um, many, many lessons have been learned and still learning them. I think that's one of the the fun things about uh, uh, being in business, maybe even more generally being in leadership is that uh, you know positions of title are just those, um, but uh, you need to continue to learn through um, through that process. And if you once you've stopped learning, uh, really find just uh, that that's that, that's really kind of a death nail. You you need to continue to be open to new ideas, new things, um, and in many ways that's how entrepreneur concepts uh, or business ideas come is being open to new ways of doing things that may in the past have not worked. Um, so I, like I said earlier, I started my first quote unquote business was buying and selling uh, wrecked cars. And my dad and I would um, take a totaled car and put two together and uh, uh, repair the car and then sell it. And I learned the, the value of hard work, but then also just the the sales process, the marketing of the vehicle, um, and then so on. And that led to you know spending time in college. Um, I had a, a failed attempt of trying to start a an MLM travel agency, a multi-level marketing travel agency. Um, boy, that was a disaster. I made no money, spent a bunch um, while I was in college. Cut hair, um, which is I, whenever I say that, people always laugh because they look in the mirror and they see you know this. But uh, yeah, you, you got that right there with me. But I started cutting hair when I was in college and uh, uh, created a good, a, a nice business um, doing that. Then out of school, started in financial planning, um, had my own uh, financial services practice, built a really nice practice there, jumped into um, a group benefits agency um, representing uh, large insurance providers with uh, self-funded employers, um, also had a 401k, a retirement planning uh, practice on the 401k side and some commercial real estate. And in 2010, um, kind of got the, the bug to go do something different, was successful in those companies, but just got the bug and um, ended up selling all of those, uh, those businesses. Spent three years um, kind of on a journey to figure out what I wanted to do next. Actually spent a month in Africa. There's a small picture up right behind me of uh, the middle of South Sudan in Juba, South Sudan and some mud huts. Um, just spent some time there um, doing some soul searching on what to do next and came back um, and then started this company that I'm um, currently the CEO of, of Springbok, which is a data analytics health company. So all oriented in the um, financial services, insurance, um, healthcare space. Um, and of course, I've been running this company since 2015. Yeah, and health is definitely an area that, uh, and and with every other business that you've launched, uh, reaches a lot of people. Uh, but healthcare obviously is a huge one, and the data uh, that's uh, most people don't understand how important data is when it comes to healthcare. Uh, it, it shows trends, and we see it because we hear about it every day of the number of cases of COVID-19. Well, there, that's 
what's data? Um, but you know, even before this pandemic, you know, the stats of all kinds of different health analytics determines where funds will flow, trends and what's going on with society and a variety of other things that can help plan for resources, uh, staffing, you name it. Uh, so it, what got you in healthcare, you know, the big, big monolith of a, of an industry, uh, you know, you know, to say the least. And it's got many, many tentacles that is hard to grab, but you know, you know, why did you, why did you choose that one? I mean, I'm guessing there's something you saw in those, uh, mud huts, you know, brought that to brought to that to fruition but i'm just curious why why healthcare yeah so i would say that there's uh, there were multiple kind of tipping points for me personally that uh, led to this journey the first one was being in the financial services space helping uh, high net worth individuals plan for their financial future and having a conversation with a, a local business owner here that was a customer and him just saying hey I, I, I'm struggling with this healthcare thing. If I can't control it, I can't invest. I have no profits in the business because the healthcare costs are, are skyrocketing. He goes, won't you just look at this? And I said, no way. I'm not an insurance broker. Um, I'm a financial services um, you know, agent or advisor. Um, and uh, finally, after a year or so, Jim just bugging me. I said, okay, fine. I'll take a look. But I want to be charged as a, a fee-based advisor, not be paid commission. So that was the first tipping point. We created some success there. That led us down a led me down a journey of starting a company in that space and that we ultimately did providing value and understanding how do you marry the financial risk component or insurance with the desired need of uh, protection from the employer um, combined with solving for the employee needs. That opened my eyes to the self-funded space, the insurance industry. Um, and really started to become convinced that the industry was not only perversely incentivized, but that there was an enormous opportunity to disrupt the space, not just on the broker side of it, but also on the data. So upon selling those companies, went obviously to Africa and then came back and saw a different side of healthcare in Africa, um, literally no healthcare. Um, you know, when you take me to the doctor, um, you literally could be talking about the witch doctor down the, you know, in the next med hut, who is literally not, not a physician at all, and, and or going into a true hospital system with minimal education by those medical professionals. So you saw, you know, a polarizing difference in society where you said, what could we, what, what, where's the possibility? So it came back to the States and started to break apart healthcare in the U.S., and said, you know, ultimately there's two, my, our point of view where I landed was that there's, there's really two sides of healthcare. There's the, the buyer side of healthcare and there's the delivery side of healthcare. And today they're perversely, um, and not perversely incentivized, but they are um, at odds with each other because their desire, their, their first principles or root desire is different provide more care, get rewarded for providing more care. And on the other side, on the buyer side, wanting less care because it's expensive, but wanting the best value for care. So analytics or data um, is what is neutral in that discussion in that it, it gives the deliverer better information on who to deliver care to at the right time. And on the buyer side, who should we be engaging over on the delivery side to make it more efficient? Um, so that, that drove us into this industry and boy, it has been enlightening. And the one thing I'll wrap up with is, you know, we, we combine in software, the complexity of data and software 
with the insurance industry, and then you combine that in that third Venn diagram with healthcare, you have three very, very complex industries all kind of coming together to form a, a business. And one of my favorite quotes I read years ago in Entrepreneur Magazine by Peter Thiel was, had we known how complex the financial services business would have been, we likely would have never started PayPal. Um, so it's, uh, for, for any of those thinking about jumping into the industry, it is very, very complex. Um, there is never a day that there isn't complexity. There's complexity and there's a diverse group of stakeholders that have their own, you know, similar to the divide that you mentioned of the, the provider and the buyer, but there's also insurance organizations and funding and all of these other things that tie in pharmaceutical and you name it. There's so many different players that are in the mix and they all have, you know, what they feel is best for what they're doing to provide whatever service they're providing, whether it's you know, pharmaceutical medications or insurance coverage or whatever the case may be. But they're all, again, it's all of these big players and it's it, every day there's a dynamic and of course toss in changes in government administration, different directions. Oh, you know, there's 50 states and each state has their own little nuances as far as coverage is concerned, which a lot of people don't think about until you know they move across state lines or they're visiting somewhere and they're like wait a minute my insurance doesn't cover this or and it really throws a lot of things into the mix so yeah it's definitely not an industry for the fate of heart to get into uh, but if you have the dedication and the desire to make an impact to figure out a way to simplify if that's even possible healthcare as a whole uh, in a way where you can make it more beneficial for all the parties, then that's obviously, you know, the work that you're doing, you know, by, you know, looking at the information, looking at all the analytics and all the different components, uh, tossing in the aging population and, you know, the growing population as well, you know, because the population continues to grow and of course getting older as well. So there's going to be new dynamics, new demands, and a lot of other things, which is going to make it a really I would say I don't want to say challenging, but it's going to be challenging, but also interesting times coming in the next you know ten to twenty years on you know what healthcare is going to look like uh, in our country. Well, you know, healthcare we we have a lens in the United States of how healthcare should be, and uh, I think some have a perspective that healthcare is a right. Um, all you have to do is step outside the bounds of the United States and realize that healthcare is a privilege. Um, if you are like this young boy that's up in my the corner up here, um, when, when I was in Zambia, one of the things that the missionary family did was they drove us through a local graveyard. And one of the very sobering things to realize is that the ages on those um, tombstones, which are written in chalk, um, and at the time we went in, there were dozens of families burying people at that same time, walk into an, an American funeral home or a graveyard, and it's, it's rare to even see someone being buried. Um, the average life expectancy in Zambia at the time was 27 years old. Um, so, you know, the, the expectancy of life, um, the, the delivery of care is, is just far different than we receive here in the U.S. So I think I start with that perspective that, hey, there are some in the world who don't even know what care looks like. So what's, what can we do using data 
to not necessarily help out the insurance piece of this. While that's relevant, we want to make sure that people are protected from a financial burden. There's really the health care piece of this, which is really more important. How do we keep people healthier longer? Um, preventing disease with data is our mission. So how do we keep people healthier longer? Um, when there is a potential risk that's coming down the pike, how do we alert them to that? Um, and then when there is a system in place, how do we get them to the appropriate care so they can be served? Um, so, you know, it's, it, for all of humanity, health care is an issue. It's not just a, a U.S. issue. It's yeah, definitely challenging all across the globe. And I agree with you. There are parts of the world, you know, where you, know, you can probably, you know, even in you know the you know rural part of where you live, you know, I'm sure you can get to you know a few physicians within a short period of time. Where in certain parts of the world, you know, without a vehicle, you know, you're using horse or a borough or somebody to pull you around in a wagon, it might be a week before you can get to an actual physician. Um, so there's yeah. things that we take for granted and, because we don't see it. We only see necessarily what's in our own purview, but having a little bit more global reach and, and viewpoint of you know what's happening across the planet, you realize how incredibly fortunate we are. Uh, even with all the nuances, even with all the challenges, you know, we are very, very fortunate to be able to have access to all kinds of care and choices. You know, we can we can be as picky as we want when it comes to our healthcare choices. Of course, there's costs involved, but we have choices where some people don't even have a choice; they don't have an option to choose. Uh, so it's it's definitely something to keep in mind. So, where do you see your work? Uh, you know, in the next five to ten years, where what are some things that are exciting that are you know coming up uh, with your organization and this work that you're doing? I think one of the most exciting things is looking back at where we've been and seeing what we've accomplished in, sh in just a short period of time. We've grown the company 10x in the last five years, just um, celebrated that with the team. And when we were originally pitching to investors this idea of um, going beyond just data warehousing or data analytics and making data accessible, we said, you know, we'll do that. that. That's well within the realm of possibility even six, seven years ago, bringing the data together. But if we just do that, we're not going to be successful. Um, what we need to do is is leap out into the future and say, what can we do? What should be our broader mission? And like I mentioned, uh, it is to prevent disease with data. So thinking into the future, um, you know, I'm in 46 years old, um, in good health, I run, um, you know, I'm, I'm a healthy individual. Do I have something else going on um, that I don't know about? Possibly. Um, you know, would, would you want to know if you were in your mid-40s that you had a condition or you were heading down a pathway that, that could be resolved if it was alerted too sooner? I think most of, of humans would say yes, absolutely. I'd want to know that. Um, in years past, we would have looked at that as big brother or even been a little bit more scared of that level of intervention um, and even looked at it with more um, nefarious words even associated with access to data. Um, but I, what, what I think is happening in society is that we are now being accustomed to um, organizations that have access to data and we expect those 
um, organizations to know me so well that they can prescribe information to me so that I can not have to think um, as much, but, but I can actually act or not maybe not think, but not have to search so much. That's really what I'm looking for. Um, and uh, the answer is, is already there. So we, uh, we believe that that level of information through machine learning and AI is absolutely well within our reach. Um, and I think that we will be sharing stories. We already have short stories about people use our data um, and how lives have been saved. It's just awesome, awesome tear-jerking stories that we just shared here at an offsite here a few weeks ago. Um, but I believe that there will be a time here in the, in the coming years where we are saying, hey, we think that you're going down this path and we find that the data is actually is, is predicting things that people never would have thought possible years ago. Um, and, and that's where we're at. And, I, and I, it's not my view. This is kind of the view of those that are in healthcare and in data is that we have more power than ever in, ever in history. And that's what's exciting is the fact that we can, and this is where it comes into something that I've been wanting to see for a long, long time is the shift from reactionary healthcare, which is what healthcare has been for a long time, to preventative. And you know, there's a lot of things to take in place, but the fact that you say, okay, here's, here's the data, here's the analytics, here's what AI is saying, based on these conditions um, and all of the ingredients here, you are potential for you know, either coming down with type 2 diabetes or potentially a stroke or cardiac event at this particular date, not, you know, may, it may not get to that specific, but you're going to the point where it's like in the next five years, you, know, you, you may have you know, blockage in your artery and have a cardiac event. Now that we know this, we can take these necessary steps, combination of the things that you need to do as far as activity, nutrition, you know, potentially with medication as well to prevent that from happening. And that, that's one of those things where it's like, yeah, sign me up because, yeah, I don't want to go through those types of situations because, you know, who knows if you'd survive and all the other chronic diseases that um, are really hampering a lot of people they could be prevented if you had the information. It's like, do this and you'll, you'll avoid this. I think hopefully most people would say, yes, let's go ahead and do that and take those necessary steps because in the long run, you'll live healthier, which will be a reduction of stress on the system, which in turn can long-term lower cost because there won't be the demand that needs to be. And then they can allocate more resources to additional research and additional things that can make all of us much healthier uh, as, as time goes on. Yeah, I, I think that uh, everything that you're, you're suggesting, um, we, we know, I mean, Inherently, we know as human beings that if we um, have a diet of Snickers and Reese's Cups and uh, Coca-Cola, um, that uh, our, our uh, scales and um, um, our health overall physique will actually um, be representative of the, the consequence of those decisions. We know that. Um, and uh, through the years, we as a society have have tried to, in, in the U.S. at least, have tried to change the levers um, to create better incentivization um, around the human um, decision point. And uh, it's been a bit frustrating, I think, for those that have been in the space, certainly in the physician side. I mean, I, 
I had a friend that when he was 30 years old, had a massive heart attack, 90% blockage in his Widowmaker, 90% blockage at 30 years old because he had a diet of McDonald's every day. And the doctor said, you need to change your diet. And uh, unfortunately, he said, man, I feel great because the medicines make me feel fantastic. And so he kept up his his same um, habits. And, you know, you can't change if people have to be willing to change. I mean, that's a piece of this that, you know, I want to make sure that anyone that's listening to this, we know that uh, you can't as much data as you put in front of people at the end of the day, it, it is open to someone's decision on what they're going to do. Um, our thought is though, that the more information you can provide to a person, ultimately it is. I mean, we have freedom in America to be able to make those decisions um, right or wrong. Um, but uh, not necessarily the consequence on the back end. You know, we as a society share that cost or burden um, when uh, when we as a whole don't participate, um, and uh, you know that's the piece of it that there's always going to be tension um, in the in the system. Yeah, I know it's one of those things where we can give all the information, provide all the evidence, but ultimately it boils down to the patient or the citizen to make their choices for them and. Uh, hopefully they they choose the right the right one and uh, unfortunately we see a lot of cases where people rely too much on on healthcare and medicine to wash away the sins of of their choices which aren't aren't good for the long term for for them and for society quite frankly so Rod I've loved this conversation where can people find out more about you and this amazing work you do uh, you can find me on LinkedIn it's a reason R E A S E N um, and my friends get upset because they are now spelling the word reason wrong. Um, but uh, so it's with an E-N um, on LinkedIn or our website uh, at www.springbuk or springbuck.com. That's awesome. And I'll definitely have that in the show notes. And yeah, I'm sure their autocorrect now is uh spelling the word reason differently and yeah they're probably getting in some trouble it's like why are you spelling it that way but that's all right it's all good uh maybe we can put a petition and and change the the spelling of that word i mean it's been done in other things so we can do it one day so rod again thank you so much for your time today really appreciate you and continued success in this great work you're doing excellent thanks so much for having me on Thanks for listening to The Breakfast Leadership Show, part of The Breakfast Leadership Network. Visit breakfastleadership.com for tips on empowering your business and your life.